Hello there. ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken. I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? I'm doing well, Jesse. Very excited to actually talk about stuff that's not necessarily about a box. That's right. You guys have been really enjoying these episodes. We have been as well. We kind of land on this format of doing two or three boxes and then doing a general Shatterpoint discussion episode, though with some format as well, but more just a freeform, right? I'm on type episode about a particular topic or subject or nebulous event, things like that. Yeah. I think personally, like having off the cuff style episodes where we can just talk about what we think is relevant in Shatterpoint, some of the questions we have, some of the thoughts we're having that are fresh. Cause I think sometimes with our boxed episodes, we tend to hold on to that information or at least keep it between the two of us so that we can eventually share it with you. But I think in instances like these, it is exciting to be able to just say, hey, I'm reacting to it in the same way that you are. These are our initial first thoughts, and this is how we feel about everything before we get into more of the how do we hyper-focus on a particular character. And sometimes in those episodes, we don't necessarily have the amount of time to go as deep down rabbit holes as we want, right? So these episodes are perfect for this kind of stuff. Yes. A lot of stuff gets left on the cutting room floor in those episodes because we want those to be more of an evergreen resource to learn about the character, to learn about how to play them in Shatterpoint. And we're not necessarily going to say, oh, Grievous pairs with X, Y, and Z unique models that aren't separatists because of this reason, right? That That's not what those episodes are about, right? I'm on those episodes are about learning everything you can to enjoy your time with Grievous on the table and to maximize your play with him on the table. So these are the type of episodes where we can kind of play, we can have fun, we can surprise each other. We don't, we have less, like we have less notes prepared. It's just more kind of diving in and seeing the current state of the game and some things that are popping up that look interesting to us, maybe perked our ears up a little bit. And we kind of like talk through it on the air and figure out what it could mean, maybe. And I think we're in a unique spot in the game to do that. And we've been doing that in recent episodes. We did do that early meta episode recently, but the game is changing every day. I mean, Mace and Mother Talzin coming out right now is an example of that. Exactly. And I'm excited to talk about those particular units in those boxes. But again, it's just more about the macro rather than the micro in these types of episodes. And yes. that's why I really enjoy it personally. Same. And we'll see where today's episode goes. I think we got a lot of stuff to say, and we've also been playing some games lately, some things that we've maybe learned from that as well. So we hope you'll just enjoy this journey with us as we kind of go back and forth and explore where this goes. But we got a couple things to mention real quick, Amon, before we get into today's episode. Of course, we're doing a Star Wars Shatterpoint corset giveaway. We've been talking about it. Anyone can enter to win. All you have to do is click on this link in our podcast description and follow us on at your social media page, one of our social media pages, at HelloTheirCast. Of course, the more people that click on this link and follow our pages, the higher chance you are to win, but also the higher potential that AMG is going to give us more product in the future to share with you, the listener. Absolutely. Hello There is also sponsored by our patrons, and our patrons sponsor us at patreon.com slash hellotherecast. And we take this time now to thank some of our patrons. That's right. We have had seven new patrons join us. We have Alyssa Matthew and Todd at the Padawan Acolyte level. And we have Outer Rim Droid Repair, 
Love it. Jesse, Kellen, and Brian at the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier. Thank you to each and one of you supporting us. We really appreciate it. And we're so excited to have you join our Hello There Shatterpoint community. Thank you so much for joining our community. And a lot of these people, Iman, you just mentioned, they've been jumping right into the community the last couple of weeks since they've joined the show and just chatting. So it's been really exciting to see a lot of new faces in there. And of course, the league is in full force. If you're interested in joining the league, this is a good time to join the Patreon and get set up for the next league. And also, people are playing pickup games all the time, Iman, in there and tutorial games as well. Yeah, I've been very impressed and proud of our community and the fact that we're so new player friendly. Many people have actually not even played the game, but taken a chance and joined our Discord. And then for us to kind of show them the ropes and for them to actually like the game and stay is quite exciting. And speaking of the league, I mean, 22 players, it's pretty solid. I think it's incredible for our first season of the league in full force, right? We had our preseason league, but that finished. And now we're in season one, episode one, all the way in. You know, I'm really excited about it. So looking forward to more of that. Of course, Simon, we cannot do the show without our producers that make every episode happen. That's Rusty, Rich, and Brady. Thank you guys so much. And the biggest ultimate shout out to the Emperor of the Universe, that's Sith Emperor Kevin, our executive producer. Kevin's incredible. Not only does he make this show happen with his fiscal contributions, but also Kevin is working around the clock in the Discord, Amon, teaching new players the game, streaming games. I love it. Yeah, actually, I think as we speak, I'm looking in the Discord right now. He has been in a game for the last two and a half hours. So shout out to Kevin. Kevin's a champion. And before we close out our support section, we've got to thank Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. I did talk with Mr. Laser recently. He did restock all the Shatterpoint project. And you can use our code hello there 5 that's the number 5, to get 5% off of your orders, which his orders are really discounted. If you're looking in adding supplements to your Shatterpoint collection that maybe your local store doesn't have, or just getting those Mr. Laser pre-orders lined up for the next month's releases, definitely check out mr-laser.square.site. Absolutely. And we are also supported and partnered with Imperial Terrain, the premier creator of tabletop Star Wars buildings and terrain, specifically for Star Wars Shatterpoint and Star Wars Legion. The terrain has a varied assortment of different planets. Our particular favorites are the Forest Moon set, the Villainy Village set, and the Fractured City set. Check them out. You can also support them and us through the code HelloThere5. That's the number five. And you get 5% off all of their digital products. If you're a patron, you're in luck. We're doing a giveaway and you can randomly win forest moon set this month incredible also i think a lot of our shatterpoint boys in the community have been like lacking in the way of like scatter and stuff like that imperial train is a great website to get scatter to get vehicles get things on the table to add variety but also break up just the fact that it's like big emptiness zones of nothing and then gantries it's another tool if you want to supplement your core set train as well and i highly recommend it all right Amon, let's get into today's topic which is all sorts of meandering about the Shatterpoint like macro discussion, as you were mentioning. Yeah, I mean, shooting off the cuff here, but just super excited to talk about some of the ideas and thoughts we're having, some of the success we're having. I know that, Jesse, you mentioned recently you've been playing a lot in person, and I've been doing some in-person games as well. In fact, 
we have a Houston league that we've started in our local city, which I think we've alluded to or at least mentioned briefly on the show before. But what's really exciting is we are in our fourth round right now. Incredible. Yeah. So not super big. We have eight players, but I think that's a great way to grow the community. And we have a ton of interest for the following season, if you will. And what's really exciting is, you know, we all kind of know each other because we also all play MCP together. And so the idea is to be a little bit more lax in the scheduling because, you know, we understand it's the summer, people are traveling. So we just wait till everyone gets their games in, whether it takes a week or two, and then we start the next round. And that's been really fun with keeping the pressure low. And Mm. I think that's going to incentivize more people to join the league because there may be weeks where we have a two-week round, but we're focused on making sure we get games in, which is fun. And that's what works for us. I love that. Absolutely. I haven't got any leagues started locally yet, but obviously we've played a couple round robins. And then on top of that, with the Lothar League in full swing, the primary TTS League being in full swing, I've got plenty of games lined up in mine, which is incredible. And I'm playing people from all across the world, all across our country, and people in our own Discord. So I'm learning a lot about the game and I'm learning about people's play styles and learning something new every day, you know? And it's been fun. Something I've mentioned to you, I'm on off mic, but in person, I've been playing different lists than I've been playing on TTS just to try to basically keep myself informed for the podcast, but also just to learn two things simultaneous, right? If if I'm kind of locked into a certain archetype in person, which currently is all Mandos because they're all painted, which is very exciting. But then online, I'm more locked into like, let's say all Republic archetype. I can really learn a lot simultaneous because I have all these commitments. You know what I mean? (laughs) I've got these tournaments lined up that I have to do and these league games lined up. And it's fun because I can get different experiences in person and on TTS through the models I'm playing as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that makes a lot of sense. When you're playing these games, what are some of the lessons you're learning? You've mentioned lessons, right? Like, is there anything that you're maybe seeing new players make mistakes with? Or like, what's the biggest lesson that's jumped to you? Great question. You know, I think we'll have to organically approach this and see where this goes. But I think some lessons I've learned with new players that have kind of maybe some things they've had struggle grasping or things I've noticed recently now that I've got a lot more games under my belt. I've seen some players play really safe in the way of the midline. They kind of hang back and maybe shoot more than moving, right? With range attacks. And instead, they should just be incentivizing ingress points and just getting in the midline because I think something Amon and I have talked a lot about on the show, it's kind of obvious when you spell it out, but it's not something silly to say. It's it's a true part of the game. Whoever wins struggle one dictates the flow of the rest of the game because now the onus is on their opponent to guarantee it goes to a struggle three, right? If you aggressively position on the midline early, you might lose a bunch of models, but you also might just win struggle one aggressively through points, right? So I've seen a lot of games where that's happened to me. I've won struggle one very aggressively, very quickly. I have lost some models because they have been on the midline parked, but they scored enough to get me there. And now the pressure is on my opponent who has to win struggle two in order for the game to even continue, right? And it's just something that's unique to our game. It is a best two of three. And I don't know, I think some discussions we'll have going forward on this show and other d- discussions and other spaces in this content creator community and just the community at large is I think we're going to have a better understanding of this game on what's like, what does struggle one, two, and three actually look like and how do they feel? Because I've also been learning, and I'm sure you have too, struggles two and three feel so different because if anything, force 
forces a completely different resource because models are wounded. You know, I think that's really fair, and you're absolutely correct. I think initially when we first started playing Shatterpoint, I was of the mind that more often than not, you're just going to see a lot of 2-0 games. And I think that was true initially, right? I think mm-hmm. players who understood the concepts or aligned to them very quickly ended up doing really well. Still the case with an experienced player and a non-experienced player. 100%. But now I think what we're seeing is there are some matchups where you kind of will lose struggle one, and that's not because you're getting outplayed or your opponent is outplaying you sometimes. And I think this is an example that we talked about. I'm not sure if it was while we were recording or not, <laughs> right, but right. sometimes you will like Shatterpoint Kalani into Kalani, and it's like yeah, you ought to win struggle one pretty much, right? There's nothing really your opponent can do about it. But then what I've really enjoyed is fighting for that comeback and figuring out Pivots. Where are my outs here? The pivots, exactly. Those shatter point moments truly where it's like, okay, I may have to rely maybe a little bit more on luck in this particular instance, but I know that if it pays out in my favor, I'm back in this game solidly. And that's what I've really come to enjoy is trying to figure out when are those moments where I need to slam the brakes and when I'm just like, you know what? Punch it, Chewy. We're going in. Yeah. Good example, I'm on this struggle's lost, but you know what? I'm going to be ready to pivot and I'm going to put all the attrition on right now because I've learned, let's say you're this player in this mindset and you're playing a Republic player, you're saying, well, I've learned through my game's strategy point now that the more clones I have wounded, that's really going to hurt going forward because coordinated fires are kind of off the table. Defensive maneuvers are very expensive now. The clones are already fragile models. So now that they're losing, they're not getting as many hunkers, they're not getting as many moves, they're not getting their abilities off. As opposed to like, let's say a B1 battle droid getting wounded, right? Doesn't really affect them as much. Struggle two onward, right? A wounded B1 battle droid is not, is affected by the wound. So what I'm saying is like, if you're in that position where a separatist player has gotten the early draw and they also know how to play their models exceptionally well, they're blocking ingress points, they're scoring all the midline out, they're going to win struggle one. Well, you've got to start asking yourself, where are my models right now? Where are they going to be in struggle two? And also how much attrition can I put on at the moment to make their struggle two really difficult in the way of force resources and pivoting for them because they're still trying to score the struggle one out and they have to stay put, right? Also, sometimes you can get lucky on with struggle two and you just draw one that's perfect. You're like, oh, I just drew one that I'm scoring right out the gate. Oh, you're talking about the two back points in your favor. I don't like that one. I don't like it. I've said this with my locals. I don't like it, but I'm happy it's there because it does make games go to struggle three sometimes. Yeah. What I find actually really interesting is that if you're playing, I think, air quotes properly, okay, it shouldn't be that easy of a win for you because you need to be moving aggressively in the struggle one because it's very rare. I mean, you have a one in three chance, I guess, to get that one, but it's not that common. Like it doesn't very pop up so much for me personally. I know that everyone has their own experience. But what I really relish is winning that struggle when it's not in my favor. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's definitely an uphill battle, right? Yeah. And like double advance Vader, get in the back line and just one shot something is just so much fun. No, I won that struggle the other day, which was not looking like it was going to be possible. I won struggle one and then that one came up struggle two. But then I was like, oh, wait, I have Ahsoka. I have Maul. I have Obi-2. I have all these marathon runners in my list, Amon. I can push on those back points really quickly, right? So the second one that flipped, my new goal was to marathon run all my Jedi to the back and start pushing on those points and just 
see what I can get out of struggle two. Because even if my opponent wins struggle two with those back points, I've put all this attrition on them now too, because I've thrown Maul, Ahsoka, and Obi-2 in their face. There's so many nuances in the game that I think a lot of people that haven't played the game don't understand. I've heard some negative comments from some of the MCP community like, oh, it's not for me because I've heard about some mechanics and I played one time and it's like, well, you might need to play more than one time because the nature of the struggle itself, the, the tug of war, the nature of the flips, the way they flip like that, the nature of you have to win two out of three, the resource management of the force struggles two and three going onward being so costly. I don't think most of that shows up in your first three games in the sense of like understanding the nuance. I think you're absolutely right. And I think fortunately we're speaking to the converted here, right? We're preaching to the choir. That's right. (laughs) For those of you who are tuning in and listening in, you probably get where we're coming from. But I think we're also just trying maybe help you help grow your community and maybe push back a little bit against the naysayers productively in the manner in that, you know what? Don't knock it until you get a decent understanding of it. I hate the phrase don't knock it till you try it because like mm. trying is subjective, right? Like That's true. Immerse yourself in it just to tad bit. Like you can't just watch two episodes of a show and think, ah, it's not for me. Because some shows don't pick up till the fifth episode, right? And then you're hooked. Absolutely. And sometimes you need that priority token to not go in your favor to get your opponent back in and say, okay, maybe I was winning by a landslide, but now I'm not because my opponent got the good RNG of that dice roll, the priority, but I'm taking this as a win because now I have this hill to climb as Amon's saying, the odds are against me now to win this. And it's making more tension. It's making a more crazy game because it's like, oh man, it keeps being that back one that's in their deployment. You know what I mean? It keeps being that and they're still scoring it. You're getting two VPs a turn. Am I going to take the struggle to it all? I'm not sure. And I think there's a lot of tension and fun there. And I say that because I've heard some players say, they think that mechanic in particular doesn't add tension or fun. And I want to push back on that respectively and say, well, yeah, if you're a super like competitive player and you're, you're like, I need to have everything in every box exactly, Shadowpoint doesn't have that. There's some elements that are not falling on that, right? But at the same time, because of those mechanics, it leads to more innovative competitive moments because you can say, oh, I pivoted like crazy and I actually won that struggle when it was the odds were against me. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of those moments, right? Like, I think looking at the current meta right now and utilizing some of the information on Longshanks, like, Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing a lot of players lean into the aggression a little bit. And we've talked about this a little bit on our previous episodes, but, you know, we we all know Vader's doing well. But I think with the introduction of Mace and Mother Talzin bringing in some Savage as well, do we finally get to enter that aggro meta? Right, if you will. It's starting to look like it. Is it not? Grievous being kind of at the top. I'm sure we'll talk about win rates of these characters later. You know, and Longshanks is only a finite resource and an information we have that's also subjective, but it's also like there's something there, Amana. If Vader and Grievous are doing well, like you said, Mace Tall's in. And I think the biggest thing is it's the opposite of the thing people are getting fixated on that people are either love or frustrated by. That's the element of Shatterpoint. It's really hard to remove models physically from the table and put them back in your game case, right? Inversely, you could have a game like I had the other day where I dished out seven wounds, but no models are removed from the table, right? That's a heavy force toll. And that's where it's really showing up. That's the attrition showing up in the game in a huge way and inadvertently giving you control of your opponent. Because now that two force cost ability costs three or four, okay? It's a completely different game now, right? Like, it's a different character. 
I think the attrition is winning out at the moment because that part is so effective on top of momentum helps you win the game as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because we see Anakin, right, who kind of exemplifies and rewards this attrition play style. Okay. And then he's just kind of, you know, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in a little bit as to some of the reasons why, but he's sitting at the bottom of the totem pole here. Oh, wow. And that shocks me at the moment. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think it's because he's not good enough. I just think maybe... He just has a higher player ceiling. You know what? Actually, Jesse, what we should probably do is let's go in and take a look at some of the long shack data. Let's take a look at okay. some of the leaderboards, what's going on, and let's try to figure out what the current community is doing because I think we might see some trends. I agree. And this is not a meta discussion. This is a what's just going on in the game really with primaries, right? Like we just want to see what people are doing, right? And what combinations, because I think I'm on recently... Longshanks added the feature of showing what primaries are paired with others. I have not got to look at that yet in greater detail, so maybe we can do that. Okay. Yeah, I think this is a great way to kind of spark it and get those creative juices flowing. Yes. You know, some of that, what is that oil juice or they were drinking at that droid bar in Mando? I don't know. It's some kind of oil. Yeah, battery juice. Jawa juice is something, you know, people drink in the Star Wars universe. Jawa juice. Okay. It's, it's a cocktail. Let's get some Jawa juice and let's take a look at Longshanks. Let's do it. So what's really interesting is I've been jamming a lot of Vader Maul and the highest win rate with Maul is Vader. I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying I'm contributing to that, but uh, I think it works, right? I mean, look at this Grievous Maul, 53 games, 62% win rate. That's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. That's pretty conclusive at the moment. I mean, clearly we need more games than that, but even the Separatist Juice, Grievous Dooku, 58% win rate, that tracks and it's almost 200 games, right? So... That's an incredible list. So I, there's a lot of things that you could try. Grievous, Obi-Wan, three games, 0% win rate. That's a weird yeah. one. That's a weird one. Here's an interesting one. And I think this kind of harkens back to how we identified the Mando list to just be super easy to play out of the box. Ahsoka and Maul, 174 games, 58% win rate. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I've been playing that list a lot. I'm on. That's been my in-person list. I'm digging it. Yeah. The coolest part of that list is ahsoka and maul can both like turn on a dime and rotate to a new struggle right and you've got maul's pull on top of that and you got ahsoka's response which is another move so it's just adding to that mando we get where we want and we score thing i'd love to look at more of these informations i guess this is what we're doing right now which is very good yeah well it's really interesting because if you go to windu right because everyone's like i have a belief this is my opinion which you could probably validate this because you've played more games with windu yeah i just know he's good i don't have to play windu like i know it's it's gonna be busted i think the first day mm. we saw the card i immediately messaged you yeah and i was like this and obi-wan is nuts just yeah hypothetically and i think you put pen to paper if you will but 94 win percent rate that's insane yeah so here's the thing with windu everyone's so fixated on the pad how good it is how he can basically kill any model in the game if he high rolls except vader that's great it's not about that. It's really not about that. It's about being a good Shatterpoint player initially, knowing where to position your models initially. And if you played enough games, you're starting to figure that out. And then you bring Windu into that equation now, who brings you a range five bubble. If you're already playing the game positionally extra good and you position Windu good with a range five bubble of protection and steadfast, well, you're ready to party. That's right. Mm-hmm. It is incredible. I had him and Obi-Wan back-to-back the other day. It was just like an episode two where they're back-to-back, -back, right? And the Geno's in arena, and it felt 
so strong. Like I was like, they both have honkers. They both got the protection and steadfast bubble going on. You're not getting through that. It's, oh no. It's not happening. No. Obi-Wan was steadfast pretty good, by the way, when he's in a tarp. Any character <laughs> is good with steadfast. Yeah. Actually, my favorite version of that list right now I'm on, it's Obi-Wan with Padawan Ahsoka, clone commandos, Windu, Pawns, Arfs. And what's insane about that is most of your models in your deck move someone. So you can reposition the Mace Windu bubble at any time with Padawan Ahsoka, with Pawns, and of course, clones have defensive maneuver, right? So that's another element all, all itself. Obi-Wan's got the patience move himself before he actually goes on his turn and moves himself. So there's just so many elements to, you can reposition the thing. And then when Windu needs to strike someone, he just switches from Jedi Master to the pad and there you go. Yeah, it's a really good list. Actually, that's my exact list, except I swap Windu with mm-hmm. Vader. And then I'm taking Clone Commandos, Padawan Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and then the clone commandos and uh, the arfs. Well, you take Vader, Arf troopers, Ahsoka, and then Obi Wan Rex. Yeah, clone commandos. That's, that's my yeah. Solid. That's my Obi Wan Vader list exactly too. It's just it's a summer concept. Everyone gets to move around. The cool part about Mace over Vader, in my opinion, is in the idea I'm talking about. We're like repositioning the bubble and the puzzle at the start of Mace's activation. He dashes an Allied Republic, and then he dashes. So it's once again, two more dashes on top of the right. ratio, on top of the pawns. It's incredible. Obviously, Rex could just slot on the Obi-Wan side as well. But turns out, you know, Ahsoka up on a gantry with a hunker or two under Obi-Wan identity in Mace's bubble. She's basically as defensive as any other Jedi primary. And she's a Padawan. So that's cool, too. It is cool. Because you can jump into his bubble. I actually did that the other night. I, You know how Soka's got the defensive jumps on her expertise? Yeah. I just jumped into Mace's bubble. So. Oh, that's actually pretty neat. It's fun. Yeah, I think actually primary Soka would probably be pretty neat with him because she's got all the repositioning, right? So she could be deep in the enemy lines and she could come back or something or with all of her expertise. I don't know what your thoughts on Mace with Luminara, but that also seems really cool in the sense of like, you know what's coming in the deck. You know you're going to get these perfect mace shatter points, in theory. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next segue. Is that and thank you for reading my mind, Jedi mm. mind trick. <laughs> is I think Obi Mace Lumi is like guaranteed. You have to take those three in those lists because it's silly not to. Oh, in a premier right. format. In a premier format. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sure. But even in regular I'm showdown regular or whatever showdown, it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I think Windu Lumi is great. I was thinking like Windu, Lumi, and I was thinking Windu, of course, with his Arf Pons package, because that's all we have, but then Lumi with Obi-2. That's interesting to me because I think that's a bit too force heavy. It's very force heavy, but Windu brings you more. I don't know. I Maybe I full recover less than other Lumi players. I don't even think it's about, sure. I mean, you might, but I think it's the fact that you have options, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like Republic players do have to be careful and think out their turns in advance when it comes to spending that force. And then I think you just limit yourself even more. You can even give yourself a case of analysis paralysis and the fact that you have so many different ways to spend force and you're like, oh, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And that can lead you to make a series of suboptimal plays in order to try to get this, quote, perfect superpower off, right? Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's one of the best in the game, right? Mind trick is easily. I've started to have a lot of success with it because it's more about how you play Obi-Wan 2 as kind of like a a weaker primary that goes off on his own. 
that's kind of you have to play him. Obviously, it's great when he can protect his allies, but it's kind of nuts when he's on a side point by himself and just stops the attack and the opponent has no one else to attack, right? It's very powerful. I quite literally did that a day ago when I had my shot point game night. I was playing Malasoka all Mandos list and Gar got switched for Kenobi. I've got both Super Mandos and then I've got Kenobi and Clan Krees. First of all, Kenobi can actually help recover and protect the Clan Krees, which they need. But second of all, there was a point in that game on where I had Kenobi on the back corner point of my opponent. Vader walked up, tried to tap Kenobi, right? Mind trick. Vader had no one else in range. And it's like, that's obviously the, like one of the highest peaks of that. But also, like I was trying to set that up the whole time, right? And it's very force intensive, though, as it should be. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think that's the best use case, right? You're saying you work towards that, but that is the ideal scenario for OB2, for sure. I just think that maybe I'm more... I like the option to be able to spend force as I see fit as situations arise. Mm-hmm. And being forced to bank it often feels constricting for me personally as a player. It might not feel the same for you. I would not feel comfortable with the fact that I have OB1 and Luminara and defensive maneuver with clones and making sure that if and when I do draw my Jedi primaries early, I do have to spend the force to reserve them, right? And that is a little offset with the fact that Mace brings four force, but... And he doesn't use much force himself. He's like Vader in that way. Yeah, I mean, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with me is having more force is just unusual for me in general, because most lists I've played have been the standard force amount, right? Like the Mando's list, the Obi-Wan Lumi list. I've just been used to that six force, you know? And that's part of it for sure. I think I'm more curious with trying Anakin and Windu, because that's eight force. Because then you can take Obi-2 under Anakin. I don't know if that's necessarily optimal layout with 501st Arv Troopers, Pons, and Obi-2, but it could work. Your supports are not good in that list, but that's kind of the point. Your primaries are so good. Well, I think the Arv Troopers are insane. Yeah. Exposed coordinated fire is kind of absurd. Nuts. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to pay force for it when they're wounded. Oh, easy. Unlike other coordinated fires, I'm not very happy to pay force for. So that's part of it as well. I think the supports are fine. I mean, you probably still end up doing like Rex, 501st, Arf, Pons, but, or maybe Padawan Ahsoka instead of Rex. Yeah. Position them where they need to be at all times. Or you could go Barris just because Barris has more opportunities to force push with eight force. Yeah. She's a lot more force intensive than Padawan Snips. Hmm. I think there's options, right? I mean, let's obviously talk about the elephant in the room too. I mean, if you really want to remove models i mean you could mace vader right yes yeah <laughs> I, I don't know why that was so obvious in my mind that i glossed over that because it's like why wouldn't you play mace vader would yeah absolutely mace vader. well especially because anakin's extremely force intensive vader is not and mace is not i'm learning through his force refleshing also through his rerolls great but it's not one of those things you're like happy to spend a ton i'm learning you know because it's just it's not a surefire bet you know it's not a force jump it's not a but it's one of those things where it is during the final step of the modified ice step. So you can say, oh, if I get one more spot in my tree, I will wound the model. Okay, I, now I'll definitely pay to reroll, right? But I don't think he really needs to do that. And Jedi Master is incredible. Defensive expertise is mind-blowing on that side. <laughs> so I'm happy to stay in Jedi Master a lot as well. Yeah, for sure. I just think it's actually more incentive to play with Anakin because you have eight force. Mm-hmm. So you can shatter point and get four attacks in in a struggle. 
Oh, for sure. I'm just saying you have eight force with Vader too. Right. But Anakin needs it. Vader yeah. doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Is the point. Yeah. Right. So I think it's almost overkill with Vader. Yeah, for sure. And going back to Longshanks, which again, isn't necessarily like the end all be all. It's just the best set of data we have. Grievous and Dooku are three and four right now. Mm. In our league? No, in TTS period. Actually, if you take out Mother Talzin out of the equation, because I don't think she should be valid. Her and Mace should not be valid at all right now. Well, Mace is not, but Mother Talzin is no longer classified as having limited data. But I would say you'd have to have at least 200 games to be For sure. regarded. And if that's the case, then it's Grievous and Dooku are two and three with Maul at four. So actually, you have Vader, Grievous, Dooku, Maul in top four. I mean, all the villains are just the top. It's been like this for a while. I think it's a combination of they're really good. Yeah. But also, like Anakin and Obi-Wan are at the bottom of the list. And I only think that's the case. And even Luminara. And I don't think that's actually fair because I think those are harder maybe teams to play. So I think the skill cap is a little higher there. With these popular characters, Obi-Wan, Anakin in particular, that are harder to play. I feel like you've got a lot of people that are like winning well with them, like leading the charge, like that have kind of mastered them. And you've got a lot of people just trying them because they're recognizable characters and having issues. Cause like you said, that maybe the learning curve is a little bit higher and clones are just the worst supports in the game right now. Yeah. I also think like Vader and Anakin, they're super different if you think about it. Cause they're first and ninth or 10th or whatever. That is, is wild. Yeah. They're like first and last. I think we talked about this. I don't know if it was like a candid cantina or main feed, but it was mm. Vader's very straightforward to play. Yeah. And he doesn't really punish you. The, almost always the best move is double advance, slap something in the face, right? Like 90% of the time, that is your play with Vader. Whereas with Anakin, I feel like people really want to go in and do the double tap and it's not the move. And so maybe it's just people who have inexperience with playing Anakin at the right time or the right moment. Sure. Same with Obi-Wan. Same with Lumi. Like those aren't three characters where you just yeet them into something. No, absolutely. And I'm thinking about some other data here, Mon, as we're looking at it. It is interesting that Dooku, Maul, Asajj, and Obi-Wan have by far the most games played. So their data, in theory, could be more accurate. Just full transparency, telling you guys at home, by the time you're listening to this, like Dooku and Maul are at 700 games, Asajj is at 700 games, Obi-Wan's at 850. I feel like most of the Anakin games are probably off the data we have in front of us. We're probably like Obi-Wan Anakin games, right? Because Anakin's got, you know, approaching 700 number as well. Yeah. Anakin's best win rate is Anakin Dooku, 12 games, 75% win rate. What a combo. I guess you're just running Dooku, Django, Magna. Eight force, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. It is. It's resources. Now, something that's interesting to me is how little games have been played to the Inquisitor the Grand Inquisitor, especially with how good like at least the content creation community values the Inquisitors. You know what it is? Mm -hmm. I don't think there are characters that are extremely popular by the wider Star Wars for sure. know, community. Yeah, for sure. And I also think that they're not as straightforward to play. Lots of force management. Yeah, but also like the Grand Inquisitor's identities, it's not very straightforward like Obi-Wan's or Vader's or Mace's is, right? Because in order to optimally play the Grand Inquisitor, you need Vader. I agree. It's interesting, though. It's obviously the Vader being the top spot and the Grand Inquisitor being like the seventh spot. They're not playing that many games together, you know? Yeah, I mean, they have a 50% win rate with 129 games played between the two of them. It's not bad. It's interesting to me the highest win rate of Grand Inquisitor is that kind of 
I've seen it floating around a little bit, Amon, but I mean, clearly not that many games played. The Grand Inquisitor and Asajj, which is kind of like all dark side saber people, all control. You've got pushes for days, like force push, force repulse, actual pushes on your trees. You've got jumps for days. I get it, but it's really interesting, you know? I really do think that my theory on eight force actually lends itself some credence. The game is easier. Well, yeah, but like Vader Dooku, 71% win rate. Yeah, no, I agree, Amon. It's like all that force and all that body. We're going to see it out in the community, you know? I think Anakin's win rate goes up with Mace. I don't think Vader's does because Vader's is already fine. Like, he's already good. He doesn't need Mace. But I think Anakin and Mace makes Anakin a lot more consistent. I like that a lot. Also, I want to see where Mother Talzin lands. Obviously, we know she's good with Maul. But where after that, you know? Yeah. Asajj. She's interesting. I think... There's not enough games yet. Not enough games at all. She's got a 69% win rate, which is pretty chill, with Maul and her having 26 games. But I feel like that's the easy, that's like the easiest list, right? It's like, which Dathomirian do I pick? Maul. You could also go left field, and if you want more force with that list, you could throw in like Dooku and swap out Django mm-hmm. for Savage, right? And then just have Magnus do the Magna thing. Be awesome like they are. I feel like a lot of people are doing that very thing. Amon, you and I have talked a lot about off mic, which something you and I think is really good that we haven't really talked in the main feed as much, where it's just kind of like bring Dooku Magnas into a list. And I don't mention the secondary because it's kind of of your choice or the secondary is going to synergize with that list. You know, you're bringing them into, but I think Dooku's good enough by himself. Magnas are good enough by themselves. Plus the force pool that Dooku brings. You don't have to go the all separatist thing. And I think case in point with that is like, weren't you and I talking about all super bandos in one squad and then dooku's on the other squad you just go because well dooku's squad is really good at getting to the midline and then you have another team that's like very aggressive with bow but that could be that could be vader that could be grievous i mean grievous is very fast too Asajj with her double jumps i mean there's so many things you can do here yeah i think it's just more interesting to bring dooku in these force intensive squads right in particular you know what's crazy is i'm actually for me i think socks down on dooku but the only reason i think that is because i think once you know how to stop him from being that guy it significantly hinders his efficacy on the battlefield i think you just don't attack him but then it's also like isolate the magna guards from him if you can i pushed a magna guard towards my side of the Mm. board and i got like three shoves off a it makes it easier to hit dooku but b like you know that cover adds up with the magna guard stuff like that and then what I also really like, and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, is like 212, they're pretty good into Separatists, I think, because the pin. Oh, just against them. Just yeah, drop they pins. they just pin them. Just drop pins, because it's like... They can't use their abilities. No. <laughs> it just makes them... It hurts. If you yeet up your 212, the board, and get it to where they can kind of tap everybody on coordinated fire, like I think that's pretty sick. And then their expertise gives out lots of auto damage. I mean, they're definitely the hardest hitting clones, which I appreciate. You know, but yeah, I think people were sleeping on 212th a little bit, but it's also like kind of like the nature of clones right now. We don't know how much like the wolf pack and Commander Wolf are going to be with Master Plo, right? So it's like we're only, you can only do so many things with Jedi and clones at the moment, list building wise. I feel like Cody's getting left behind as he, for obvious reasons, but there's a lot of things like clones we're not seeing, maybe because at this point in time, Arf and the clone commanders are so ubiquitous. They have the widest release. You're going to have, like, for any game this early on. Yeah, like, presumably Amidala, Master Plo. One day Yoda. So, like, 
arguably three boxes, right? Which means three supports, three secondaries, three primaries. And then what else? You're right. Yoda, you know, they need to do Kid Fist too. Otherwise I'll riot. For sure. I mean, shoot, keep going. Give us Ayla, you know. Oh, Ayla Sakura. She's cool. Shakti. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Give me Cal Kestis, dude. Well, yeah, he's not going to be a Republic Jedi though. No, no. But what I would do is I would love his master with the double-bladed blue lightsaber. That's that's true. And then you get Padawan Cal Kestis. That could be cool. I mean, we'll probably get that after we get Qui-Gon. Oh, yeah. Obviously Qui-Gon before Jero, but like also, yes, Qui-Gon. Yes, Qui-Gon. That's just what we want. With that Ataru master. Give us Qui-Gon. The 13th Battalion that Jero and Cal were stationed with, they looked a lot like the 212th. But they, I guess they had more of like a mustard armor color instead of like the golden yellow. I mean, that was like Ayla's squad, right? Hers are kind of a different, they're like an actual yellow and not an orange yellow mm-hmm. like the 212th. 212th yeah. are like orange with the dash of yellow in it, right? It's a very unique color. I've seen people painting it online yellow and I'm not sure what happened there, but it's a unique color. Cody's color. It's a, it's like a particular color of orange. I was thinking about painting the 501st as Coruscant Guard because you're always going to take them with Vader or Anakin. I think that's smart. I was actually, someone was asking me the other night, my friend Kyle, and I was also talking with Sith Emperor Kevin, being the dark side players they are, they're brainstorming on ways to paint pawns and arfs. I said, well, what the good news about that is, is like, you could totally paint. The only answer is camo. Camo arf troopers. That's actually, that's smart. But I was trying to go through the dark side lens. So I was saying like, the Coruscant Guard shock troopers, like there was Coruscant Arfs, and also you could just you could just paint pawns as an Inquisitorious like trooper, like a purge trooper, if you really wanted to. Did they have purge troopers in the Clone Wars? No, but what I'm saying is, there's players out there like Kevin who are buying the Windu box, so you can finally run the All Inquisitor list, right? Because with pawns now, you can run every Inquisitor in the same in one list. Well, weren't there black clone troopers as well? Black armored clone troopers? I don't know. I don't think so. But maybe you're saying like after they got switched over to the Empire? Oh, that might be Elite Squad. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, clone shadow troopers. Gosh, I mean, Empire shadow troopers. So yeah, I could see. Was a variant of the Galactic Clone Republic's clone troopers served during the Republic. And I'm just saying, okay. I'm on, while, you're, while you're doing this looking up stuff, look up Arf Shock Trooper. And you'll see what I mean about the Coruscant Guard ARF troopers that would work so well if you want to lean on more of a dark side, you know, because like you said, these ARF troopers and these pawns are a gift to dark side players as well, right? Because of Vader in particular. ARF shock trooper in particular is what they're called. It's sick, man. Oh, yeah, that's sick. It's like with like the the, teeth, the jaw, the teeth and the. Yeah, man. (laughs) Hound, I think, is the most famous character that's an ARF trooper. I think the Coruscant Guard color scheme is incredible. So I think you could easily paint the Fire First or the ARF Troopers of that. If you think about it, AMG did not give us a particular battalion with the ARFs. They just gave us generic ARF Troopers, right? So you can go the route you want. You can do them unpainted, just white ones, or you can do them in a, in a battalion, right? Because a lot of battalions had ARF Troopers. So it's like the first instance we've had it in the game where it's like a little bit more creativity. And Pons has red on them already. So why not do your ARF Troopers like... Shock Troopers or Coruscant Guard. Commander Pounds. Well, he's more of like a brownish. It's like a burgundy, right? Color, right? Republic burgundy. Yeah. Commander Pons, they weren't the wolf pack, though. No. Yeah, that was wolf, obviously. Yeah, I don't know why I said that out loud. 
Well, lots of ideas for clones. Yeah. I think the wolf pack is going to be really exciting because we don't know what their card is, but I know what the wolf pack does in lore I'm on. So the clones that are coming with Plo, they love to fight in close combat. And I'm curious if that will be implemented in the game because that is not the case with any of the clones yet. They're real bad in close combat. Yeah, I kept trying to think in the shows, like, are they bad at close combat? And I feel like they kind of are. Yeah, but the Wolfpack in particular, they're like flankers. Like, they come in from the side and get real close with the enemy. So I'm intrigued, for sure. I can dig it. Also, if Plo can be in there with them, you know, like leading the charge, that's all I want, you know. So I've been trying to find a print online of a holocron because Master Plo, old lore and new, old lore and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. He's a guy that went over the galaxy and found holocrons, right? And also found Padawans, right? So I think it'd be super cool. Well, he found Ahsoka. Of course. Yeah. Huge find for the Jedi Temple. But I loved, I think with the pose he's in, he's kind of got a hand close to his body and a saber out in front of him. He could easily have a holocron in his hand. He could have a holocron on his base and just like a little mm-hmm. panache, like a little bit of flavor, you know? I can't even really find a holocron at all. That'd probably be like one of those things you get on Thingiverse and just find a print and have someone print it for you. You know what I mean? And this might be spoilers territory here. Is Commander Pons the one who got killed by young Boba? I honestly don't remember. That sounds right, though. That is spoiler territory, Mon. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think you're who right, dude. Commander I think Pons. it's Boba. I think he executed him, right? He was... Oh, no. Aura, Aura killed him. Yeah. Boba couldn't do it. That's remember? right. He was still learning to be a... <laughs> and then Aura just... Aura's <laughs> like, I just... I kill every day. Man, she's... She's a bad lady. I'm excited to see her in this game. Who was the leader of the Coruscant Guard? Don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there was exactly a leader that we saw in the Clone Wars itself, Coruscant Guard. I feel like Pons was heavily involved with them. Fox. Fox. There you go. Yeah. He's always in his his gunship flying around. He got killed by Vader. That also tracks. He failed to warn his guards against mistaking the Sith Lord for a Jedi. So the guards shot at Vader and Vader was like, what are you doing? Vader as an like, Anakin Vader. Yeah. Before he had his armor. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, rough, rough stuff. Yeah. One last thing I'm on. I think the 501st are shadowed by the ARFs. We've been saying this in community, but. 50 who? They do do more damage than the ARFs. I'm not saying it's better than Expose because it's not, but they do do more damage. I'm going to be real. The amount of damage that your primaries can do because of the Expose outweighs it. For sure. But you're going to need both in that Mace Anakin list we were talking about. So, I'm really tempted to paint Cody as Commander Fox now because they kind of look the same. They do. Yeah. Fox is a cool skirt, though, that Rex has. Oh, yeah. That Mandalorian skirt. Yeah. That's cool stuff. So you never answered my question earlier, Mon. So if you're not playing Maul as much, is there someone you're gravitating towards other than the Separatists or just Separatists is a nebulous idea? I think Separatist is a nebulous idea. If you were to ask me which primary I'm the most interested in like playing. To start playing really for the first time, digging in. Yeah, I would say it's either Mother Talzin or Mace Windu. Good answers. I think I will give this Mace Windu Anakin thing a shot. Report back without Obi-Wan's honkers, yes. right? Do it. It's not my play style. It's a lot of aggression. I'd rather hold, but I will try and I'll get back to you guys and let you know how much force what that looks like with that much force, right? I'm telling you, I have a feeling, man. This is just, this is just theory. OBT's going right in because I'm going to overspend on that mind trick, right? Well, ask you a question really quick. So what is your list? It builds itself, unfortunately. Anakin, OB2, 501st, and then 
the Ubuntu yeah. box. Yeah. Obviously, I think Snips is really good in the OBT spot as well. But I feel like if you really want to dig into this May Sanikin thing and really want to get some finesse with it, I think OB2 is probably the way. And if you're especially playing on slamming games like I am, but if you just want to plug and play, yeah, throw Rex or Paddle on Snips in the Anakin secondary spot and just go. I think personally, if I was to build that list right now, don't have many options. The thing with Ahsoka, I think Ahsoka is the right move because you can, she is fearless twice the jump. Yeah, but Obi-Wan also has run twice mm. that man can pivot it's insane and run is free yeah well let's say let's see your average turn right is your mind trick i'm gonna end this mm-hmm. so two four i'm gonna end you have two left for a reserve or a jump it's still pretty expensive but you can do it that's the point well also if you really want to enable anakin in this list you can just keep mace and jedi master and just shatter point with him and get forced back yeah yeah man i think it works yeah it's a lot of eggs in the hero hammer basket, right? That's how Republic plays, though. Yeah, but I say it's the most, right? Because we have the most expensive primary yet, Mace. So Anakin in the second spot. I don't know. I was also thinking, Amon, because, you know, spoiler alert for the cast, and I think some of you guys know in the Discord, but I've been painting my Dooku like Jedi Dooku. So I was wondering if there's a way to get my Dooku painted like a Jedi and Mace together as well. But once again... Dooku's lists are restrictive as well. I feel like you're always playing the Magnus and then slotting in a four cost as a secondary, right? Do you bring OB2 in that one? And it's a little bit more control. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting as well. I mean, the Mace Dooku list is thematic. That's what I'm about. And my Dooku has a blue saber, so I got, I got to try it, right? Okay, let's see. We put in Dooku when a allied primary unit or allied secondary unit. Yeah, it doesn't specifically state separatist for the first part. Ooh, 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 and they ooh, both ooh. want to get dug in with the enemy, like really get in their face. So the thing is, is you still have to take the 501st to maximize the Republic strategy. Ah, uh, But does Windu care about that? Yeah, it's allied Republic characters. Do Magnus care about that, honestly, with how good they are? Is a 501st with protection and steadfast better than Magnus in, in a mixed list anyways? Okay, so I'll entertain you. Take Magna, you take Dooku. Mm-hmm. No longer thematic, by the way. Wow. True. At that point, you probably take, man, I don't know. Yeah, maybe OB2. I kind of like Rex more for some reason. Yeah. I think if you brought Rex, you could do the five first thing and try it out, right? I think Dooku, this is crazy. This is crazy. Dooku, five oh first, Captain Rex. Mm -hmm. I think it works because Rex is going to be aggressive. And Pond, Pond's is really good with the immunity exposed bubble. We'll talk about that more when we do the Windu episode. I also think another valid question that should come up with these lists that people need to explore with the either Mace Anakin, Mace Vader, Stuku, what are, you know, two expensive models and you're going to have to bring the ARFs and the 501st, right? Do the ARFs and 501st just stay where they're at innately or do they get swapped around? Is that better or worse? Like Pons has to stay with Mace. The fourth route of your choice has to stay with the second character primary, but is there a reason to put the 501st with Pons, for instance? I don't know if it matters because of forward scout. Yeah. They just get so much extra movement. Well, that's that. what I'm saying. Is that is forward scout better with the 501st because they're a little bit, aren't they a little bit tankier than the ARFs? The 501st are seven, I believe. Seven, two. With protection and steadfast now, while the ARFs are also seven, two. So it's, no. It's like the same. The only benefit with the ARFs is they get a free expertise at range attacks. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. You, you could mix and match, but. I do definitely want to try the Mace Dooku thing and just see what it looks like with all that force and all that kind of control, you know? 
Also, super interesting too to have two models that can be like, oh, we're we're end of a round where I'm about to shuffle my deck. I've got a ton of force. Well, I will happily liberally spend for rerolls on both these characters because they both have rerolls to spend force. Yeah, I think the I think this could work. I don't know if it's consistent. It's fun though. I guess what I'm saying is I think it could be as consistent as the Anakin Mace, but it's just a little bit of a different. You're just not leading us hard into the Republic thing, obviously. I will challenge that by saying the reason why I think Anakin Mace is more consistent is because you get more goes as I'm trying to end this. So you get more opportunities to kill or rather wound yeah. things so that you can get more momentum. That's oh, why for I think sure. that list They're different lists better. entirely. That's for sure. Dooku would not be, Dooku hits hard, but he's more, he's more control. Well, you know, either way, I think I look forward to your experiments with the mm. eight force teams, Jesse. Yeah, it's interesting, right? We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, I definitely think we're onto something here. And I think maybe we'll see the data support that. And, you know, tying back to our conversation at the beginning of this episode, this might be the blueprint for those aggressive teams in this aggro meta that could potentially exist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, attacks are a premium in Shatterpoint, but I don't know, man. Four attacks with Annie in one struggle seems nice. Yeah, no, I. It's definitely got legs. We'll see how it goes. I just, I think maybe an overarching theme that came up through this whole discussion, Amon, is force. Just how important it is. Like we talked about in the early part of this episode about the struggles and force, just the force tax being so real, struggle two and three onward, right? So maybe there is something with these models that just have more force because it just makes the game a little bit easier, a little bit less mentally taxing on you, right? And also reserving is easier which is never, never a bad thing. It's also why the mall lists are so good because let's just be honest, it's easier to reserve in the mall lists. Yeah, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, right? I think, yeah, at nauseum now, I think we're excited. It's a resource, yeah. We're looking manage. forward to it. And Force, man, I think, you know, maybe this might answer the question. Is 8 Force too good? We don't know. I don't think so. But it's a good question. Could be. Yeah. Could be that what we're looking for. Maybe you give up the efficacy of, your supporting units or take weaker units overall to just make those highs real high. Yeah. Is the higher force having an advantage there and having more powerful primaries worth it or better than having a more balanced list across the board, right? Because you're trading in weaker supports to get that. Time will tell. Time will tell. But Jesse, I think this is going to do it for this episode. Well, we got some people to thank and some places you can find us. Of course, Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash cast. The second you join Patreon, it gets you in our private Discord community and you get all the access to the things happening there. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at HelloTheirCast. And of course, you can always email us at HelloTheirCast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Though... Apple Podcasts and Spotify really mean a lot. So if you use a different podcast platform, but you have access to those and want to give us a review, it means a lot. And of course, Jesse, want to thank Lowfield for our show's music. You know, this might be the phrase I say the most this year, but straight banger. There it is. Of course, you can find me and I'm on several spaces online. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, Discord, all the places at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Of course, if you like Marvel Crisis Protocol or are interested in the Marvel Universe, check out my show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel's Crisis Protocol and Marvel Universe canon. Amon, where can everyone find you? 
Everyone can find me at Amanhu Games on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Longshanks. It is Aman Kusro. And if you like listening to my sultry, seductive voice, That's right. you can listen to me on Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I've also been on a couple episodes for Ominous Protocol as well. So do check out our dear friend Charles MCP content. And last but not least, I must mention that out of all the Amans that exist, those who are still alive, I have the most force. I have at least four, if not more. I might be the first five force primary in the game. Wow. I thought that was just Emperor Kevin. So now now there are two of them. Well, no, no. Emperor Kevin has unlimited power. Yeah, he doesn't have a number on it. Well, this has been a fun discussion, Amon, just kind of meandering around and talking about the game at large and we hope you guys enjoyed this content if you do let us know but until next time may the force be with you so uncivilized